0: Welcome to the second podcast of iFloat Radio. My name is David Keneally and I'm here with Donovan from CT Desk Squad and I'm here with Diana Dorofte. Is that the best way that's,
1: to pre- That's correct, all yes. Right.
0: I'm here with Diana, and she is our second guest. For those who are listening for the first or just second time, I just want to let people know that the iFloat radio podcast is an opportunity for listeners to learn about who's coming into iFloat. iFloat's located right near New York City. It's located in Westport, Connecticut. And we get a lot of interesting people coming in here from all walks of life. And since listening to podcasts for the last year, especially the Joe Rogan podcast and Donovan's podcast, CT Death Squad, and other podcasts, I'm realizing that podcasts are a really great way to let people know more about what's going on in the world. And since we have such a diverse population coming here, I've asked a number of our clients to come and tell us about who they are, what's their story, and how did they come across iFloat. So, Deanna, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Deanna, before we talk a little bit about your background, tell us how you came to iFloat. How did you find out about iFloat?
1: I first found out about iFloat two and a half years ago when uh, my fiance introduced me to this place. And back then, iFloat had uh, another owner. And the experience was Different than the one that I've had since you and Andrew um, have owned this place. So I found out two and a half years ago. I did it once.
0: Can you t- can you talk about the difference that you that you're, you you talk about there? What, what what was the difference or what is the difference?
1: Well, of course, the first time being the first time was um, different, but it wasn't as welcoming, and. I remember being in the tank and being cold because I usually run cold all the time. And I don't know if it was the temperature or it was my first time experience and not knowing what to expect. And um, it just, I remember the light not being that bright as I expected and um, just feeling cold. I remember feeling cold. And I wasn't able to fully enjoy myself and that was the Kind of the first and the last time I did it while that owner was here. And then we came back and we met you guys and we developed a relationship and you told me about some of the um, things that happened in the brain, so I kind of understood more. And also I I was just warm <laughs> in the tank. I think you were able you and Andrew were able to control the temperature much better than than before.
0: It's true, we do keep very close tabs on the temperature. We actually measure the temperature with a manual thermometer every day to make sure that the actual temperature matches the recorded temperature on on our our thermal regulator. Mm-hmm. So we do keep really close tabs on the temperature.
1: And also, I don't remember having air plugs the first time I came. And I wasn't that comfortable with all that salty water in my ears. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys added my favorite thing. You added the cushion around your, your neck. And I felt so comfortable when I did it, uh, last week. It felt so good that it was my first time when I turned the light off. Okay. Now you're going to find out that I wasn't, (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't able to float with the light off, mostly because I discovered that I was afraid of darkness and last time i did it i took the cushion and put the air plugs in and was able to turn the light off good for you (laughs) yeah
0: we didn't have the cushions when we first started here last year because andrew and i although we had a fair amount of experience floating we had never used cushions ourselves i mean i had my own float tank and i had floated a lot as well as andrew did and we never had one so one of the things that we've learned since having iFloat for the past year is to provide options for people. Mm-hmm. And some people really benefit from having that flotation device for the neck in there. And so that's why, that's why we have it there. And we have a whole bunch of them in the back. And we're always paying attention to what people like yourself say so that we can make sure that the options are there for people to have that optimal experience.
1: It was amazing that I didn't even ask for it. I didn't know that I needed it. And it was there and I was like, Hmm, maybe I should use it. And it was amazing. It was like, that's exactly what I needed, but I didn't know I needed it.
0: (laughs) That's great. Now talk about what was floating like dark versus light. Did you notice any differences this last time?
1: When I, when it was dark, I was more aware, but in a very different way than when I kept the light on. Um, and when the light was on, I would open my eyes and always check kind of like what's around me. Not that there was anything different, but it, w- it was much better with the light off, but it took me a while to get used to it. It was my own um, discomfort, I guess, my own thing in the brain that told me that if I have the light off, I won't be safe. But I was safe. It was great. It was amazing.
0: <laughs> great. So you, what was the decision that you made last week when you floated so all of a sudden you turned off the light what changed for you that that uh resulted I, in that
1: I have floated I think 8 times prior to last week and I was so comfortable and I knew exactly what to expect Are and... you
0: sure it wasn't the chicken enchiladas I made for you guys the week before <laughs>
1: Maybe. What did you put in them, David?
0: (laughs) Some some comfort chemicals, maybe.
1: Maybe, because something changed. Something just changed. Um,
0: That coconut cake, perhaps. Probably. (laughs) And all that wine. Yeah, that's right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, what changed? I felt more comfortable. I, before I got here, I kind of said to myself, okay, this is the, I'm going to do it. So I kind of primed myself. And when I got here, I said, there's no way I'm going to float with the light on. So today (laughs) I'm going to move beyond my fear of darkness and turn it off. So now I'm kind of looking at exploring the next thing. What is the next thing after turning the light off? What's happening in the brain? Um... And that day when I turned the light off, I got the most amazing ideas. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It was like having a brainstorming session without knowing that I had one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's often the case when floating.
1: It was really good.
0: Could you tell us one of the ideas you had or is it kind of like one of those things you're still kind of simmering?
1: Yes. I've been working with... um, this concept of starting to write a blog in Romanian, which is where I'm from. And one of the the blog is about um, my 100 things that I want to do while I'm alive. And for each thing that I get done, I want to help someone else achieve their dream. So one of the things that I have on my list was to open a nonprofit in Romania to help the children and to help the women. And I just didn't have a clear concept of how am I going to fundraise? How am I going to, why am I going to do this? So while in the tank, I got this idea of, since I'm in America and I meet a lot of interesting people, I want to um, ask for their autograph and I meet a lot of interesting people.
0: (laughs) Explain, we're going to backtrack in a little bit, but explain why is it that you happen to meet a lot of interesting people? Tell us a little bit about what, what you do.
1: Uh, by day, um, I work in the corporate world for a management consulting firm, and we travel the world um, doing seminars and trainings for Fortune 100.
0: What's the firm?
1: Leadership Alliance. Okay. It's called Leadership Alliance, based in Stanford, Connecticut. And I travel all over the place, and I meet a lot of interesting people from the corporate world, and not only. Um, I had the chance to to meet the author of What Color Is Your Parachute, who is a legend, yeah, I Mr. Saw that Richard on your Facebook. Rost. I saw that. Yeah. And also once I was um, at a party and ran into Paul Schaefer, the guy who plays for David Letterman. Oh yeah. And I didn't know who he was, so he was like, "Oh, I just fool around with keyboards," and and I said, "Really? <laughs> who do you work for, David? Oh, David. Hmm." you must be a really interesting guy if you, if you work with David Leatherman. So I do things um, for the work, but also things in my free time. And I meet a lot of people. So the idea that I got in the tank is to ask for an autograph and then have people auction to buy that autograph. And that's going to be one of the fundraising <laughs> things for my nonprofit.
0: That's a great idea. Yeah, but
1: I wouldn't have thought of it I think, if I wouldn't have floated.
0: It's true. Every time I float, I get ideas that surprise me. And I often think, where did that come from? And I have to do a double take and say, well, it came came from me. But I'm surprised a lot at what comes through when the lights go off, when I'm there in, in the silence. And it's interesting.
1: I hope that you guys are going to um, to discover like a virtual journal so that people can download their thoughts in that because I was in the tank and I was like, oh my God, this idea and that idea and the other, how am I gonna remember everything? And I almost felt like getting out and writing down what I what my thoughts were. So I hope that you'll be able to discover one of those, you just download your thoughts while in the tank.
0: I think that's a great idea because I have that same experience a lot where I'm thinking of things and there's this storm of ideas and I think ah yeah I'm going to remember that but when I come out and I'm showering it starts to disappear kind of like dreams because yes. when we come out our, our brain waves start to go faster and the the interesting ideas which are in the slower brainwave states start to dissipate so it, it would be a good idea to do so
1: yeah uh, and it's almost like you can't move on thinking at the next thought because you want to remember that and you're kind of stuck in that idea and yeah. you want to remember it so but last time i actually got out of the tank and wrote down my ideas in my iphone good for you yeah
0: there's a guy who he started avatar which is this personal personal transformation group that's international at this point and i read his book and back i think in the 70s he spent A series of weeks floating for really extensive periods of time. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading how he had a notebook right outside of his float tank and he would just pop the the door and write down his ideas. And it was this really important change in his life where he was essentially harvesting ideas from that slower state of mind. Mm -hmm. And they changed his life and resulted in, I think, his book and this organization that At least in part it influenced the shape of that organization so yeah i think perhaps we'll have to explore some technology options for people (laughs) to record uh what's happening down there when when they're in that slower state.
1: actually that is a good idea to keep a notebook outside of the tank and write down some of those thoughts because i remember having those thoughts but now i can't remember what those thoughts were
0: Exactly. So, but and now then,
1: I want to float again so that I can remember.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember I just did 40 days of floating, uh, ended like two weeks ago, so I was floating a lot. And it got to the point where as soon as I laid down in the float tank, a thought would pop into my head that surprised me. And that was really fascinating. One of them was was just really simple. It was like, hey, you know, you should ask so-and-so to speak at this event. And I just couldn't believe that I hadn't thought of that before, but it was was so clear and it was so easy. And I did remember it afterwards. And and when I came out after I showered, I got onto my computer and I sent that person an email because I didn't want to forget (laughs) doing that. So, well, that's great. So tell me a little bit more about this organization and Why do you want to help the women and children in your home country, Romania?
1: Well, mostly because they don't have the same opportunities that we have here. And I've lived there for 20 plus years. And I know that women and children struggle a lot. So even though I live here and I work here and... um, I'll become a citizen soon. My heart is still back there. So I want to do whatever I can to help them. I know that people need a lot of things here, but um, there's a lot of help. There are a lot of nonprofits helping everyone. Uh, There's a lot of volunteering in communities. And some of the basic things that people have here do not exist back there. People aren't even aware that they could be helping someone else. So my aim is to get them to work together, fundraise, um, give the $30 that a child needs to go to school and buy the books because they don't even have that in villages, or pay the $10 that the bus ride to go to school because some of them have to walk for hours only to have access to classes. So it's basically the fact that they don't have opportunity. And while I'm here, I'm just going to take advantage of the people that I meet, tell them about it, and then um, organize a fundraising event where where people can actually buy the autographs.
0: Great. Well, let us know if we can help out in any way.
1: <laughs> yeah. Thank you.
0: Tell, tell me a little bit about the status of education in Romania. What, what is the, the general status for kids to be educated? Uh, is, is it the law that they have to go to school, that sort of thing?
1: Yes. Uh, the concept of homeschooling does not exist. Everyone is forced to go to school, but not everyone is helped to go to school. So they're forced, but if their parents don't have money they cannot do it or they go and then they drop out and basically uh they get into trouble because of that and there are there is not no help for them um nonprofits or even uh seminars that they could attend for free where they become aware that the education is important of course, there are the other children who have more than enough and they're so, um, they get so spoiled, but they're not aware that they should help the other ones who are in need. So I guess awareness is the first thing, and that's what I would like to, to start there, awareness that they could do something and should do something and things are going to turn out well if they do it. That's great. Yeah.
0: What about women? You also want to be helping the women in Romania. What kind of change do you want or impact do you want to have on women in Romania?
1: Mm, There are some very sensitive issues with women there. Uh, There's a lot of um, um, violence Mm -hmm. and no one talks about it. And um there's discrimination what, we,
0: what kind of violence can you I mean just talk a little bit about that? Is it like domestic violence? yeah, domestic
1: or, violence, yeah. domestic violence and um there's a little bit of discrimination, meaning that they cannot get the same jobs that men can, and not because they are um, less educated or less talented. It's just the way society is structured so I would like to inspire them to not settle for what they have right now, basically. And for that, uh, I'm going to need funds and time to do the seminars and do the trainings and perhaps even give them access to like an online class or an audio class or podcasts. Awareness again. Awareness is a big thing.
0: You talked about Leadership Alliance and and the management consulting that that you do with with Matthew and, and other people. Do you ever see the work that you're doing there happening in Romania to help you with women? Do you ever see using those skills back in Romania to help women?
1: Definitely. Yes, definitely. What we basically do is go into corporations and do seminars on leadership setting priorities based on the uh, strategic process called Kanri, which was used by the japanese after world war ii to um, get their economy up and running and also um, learning basic skills that would help any person in any area so yes my answer is yes i can see myself taking some of the knowledge that I've gotten so far and organizing, setting some seminars back in Romania to empower women and children.
0: When you do go back to Romania, because I know that you go back at least once a year, I believe, yes. right? Mm-hmm. When you do go back there, what are women telling you when, you when you're talking to them? Maybe they might be saying things that they don't want men to hear. What, what do some of them say about changes that they'd like to see happen?
1: They say that there is... Um, no hope and that i am a lucky um woman um and basically they don't see the bright light at the end of the tunnel so i want to help them um spark (laughs) that light inside of them and know that it is possible to do things if you start with yourself you don't have to change the world you have to start with yourself get more education Uh, work on your skills, be good to people, um, do good. And some of the, it's interesting that I don't even know how to put it into words, but some of the basic things that we have and think here do not exist there.
0: Can you tell me a little bit more about that? What are some of the basic things that we have that aren't present there?
1: Volunteering is a big thing in this country. That does not exist back there. Or it's very, people aren't even aware that they could, be volunteering or um
0: why do you think that is
1: it's just the culture the culture Uh, we have lived in communism for so many years and people have been brainwashed and they need to reconnect with themselves to kind of uh, realize that they have the possibility to help the people around that being said there's a lot of good work that they do but still, it can be improved, coming from here, I can see it clearly
0: yeah and there's also there's the the education of, of literacy and understanding history and science and all that, and then there's the education of what you just talked about, which is understanding oneself mm-hmm. and, and and both of those are important. Do you see the work you plan to be doing in Romania? Uh, directed towards both of those things or do you see yourself moving more towards standard education or more towards exploring oneself and and uh, that sort of thing
1: i believe that it has to start with um discovering yourself first and then taking action out there Uh, maybe education would be the next thing but definitely discovering yourself is the first thing and going back to floating This is what floating helped helped me to discover myself. I came to a new country. I didn't speak the language. um, And I had tremendous... I was insecure. I just didn't think that I could work as well as the American people. I could speak as well as the American people. I could um, do whatever the American people were doing. So coming here was like, hmm, I didn't know that I have these resources within me. Maybe I should use them. That's great. So it was it was really um, revealing. And once you do float and you discover that, you can't go back.
0: It's true. I agree that once once we tap into that wisdom within, it starts to become a flow, like yes. a, almost like a <clears throat> excuse me like a river. And it's it's really hard to to turn it off. T- tell me a little bit about how did you end up. Here in the United States, a lot of your friends back there and family are saying you're, you're lucky and so forth. How, how, did you, how did you get here?
1: I got here with a, a program organized by the government called the Lottery Visa, where they choose highly educated individuals from all over the world if those countries don't have a high percentage of immigrants in the United States. And Romania was one of those countries. So... Basically, they give you a green card. They select you, and then they give you a green card, and they say, here, you have uh, Get Into America Free Pass. Use it however you want. Um, Play by our rules, and let us know if you'd like to take this opportunity. They make make it look very appealing, so it's hard to say no. So that's how I, I was basically selected by the government to come here and they just gave me a green card.
0: From what I remember, I'm not sure if it's accurate, you had applied, but I think forgot that you had applied for it. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. It
1: was one of those things that you do, um, cross it off your list, and never think about it again. So I applied not even understanding what that meant. I didn't know that I was supposed to move here. I just thought that, oh, it's one of these programs. I'll come for a few years and then go back home. So I applied and I found out that I won. And that's when I finally understood that I'm going to become a permanent resident and I'm going to have to live here 24-7, 365 days a year. It was really, really funny. My mom called me and she said, hey, I got this big yellow envelope and <laughs> it has some English text on it. What is this? One of your boyfriends? <laughs> and I said, no, mom, no, you can, you feel free to open it. Um, so she said, I can't read this. It's, um, it's in English. And I said, can you please make the effort and read the first sentence? She's like, yeah. And the first sentence was, congratulations, you're the lottery. You're one of the lottery winners. Wow. And I was like, mom. Do you know what that means? She's, no." She said, no." I said, "That means that America wants me there." And she said, "Should I cry or should I laugh?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really funny. I'm going to put the story into a book one day. It was very intense.:
0: <laughs> It is intense. I taught at an international school in New York City for a number of years, and when the students were graduating from high school, a lot of them wrote about that moment when they realized they were coming to the United States. And it's, I think, a shattering moment from, from what I recall reading from all their essays because all of a sudden they, they see this world coming towards them and they see their past almost dissolving in a way. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a bittersweet moment, I think, for a lot of people when they realize that they're going to be leaving their country.
1: I can relate to that. I was 21 the only girl in the family, I have three other brothers, and I was going to move 10,000 miles away from home. And my parents were like, really? Are you really going to do this? And I'm going to say, how can I miss this opportunity? If they want me there, and I know that their selection process is not easy. If they want me there, I'm just going to give it a try. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I'll come back. But of course, that wasn't an option. That was just to <laughs> give them some comfort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting.
0: That's, that's exciting. Well, I'm really glad that you came and my impression of you, and it's funny that you talk about when you came here, you just weren't sure because you strike me as such an incredibly talented, smart and confident woman.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. It means a lot to me.
0: One thing I want to ask is if you... Well, you, you wrote this book called The Little Book of, of Romanian Wisdom. Tell me, a, tell me a little bit about that before I ask, uh, ask you this question. I'd like you to tell me a little bit about this book and h- how it came about.
1: When I moved here, I, I thought that I was strong enough not to be homesick. And it turned out I was mistakenly wrong. I was so homesick, I just couldn't get over my homesickness. So um, I started working on this book with Matthew as a way to deal with that. And I just started selecting quotes and doing research about some of the people who were born in Romania and had wise things to say. It was very nice for me because it was like being with one foot in America and the other back in Romania doing this research. So we did research and we discovered that a lot of the people who Americans know, like Eli Wiesel, Uh, the Nobel Prize winner, he was born in Romania. I didn't know that. Yeah, and I didn't know it either. And then the more research I did, it became obvious that the whole work had to be turned into a book that can be shared with the people here in this country and also the people back in Romania. I also found out that um, John Hausman, the guy from um, The Paper Chase, Okay. I don't know if you saw the film. I have not. Brilliant guy. He okay. was. He was also born in Romania and also Tarzan, Johnny Weissmuller.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <Really? laughs>
1: and I was like, whoa, really? And Edward G. Robinson and of course Nadia Comaneci, the gymnast who got the only ten uh, in history. And I was like, oh wow, this is amazing. I thought that this is going to be just a project to deal with my um, my missing my parents. But no, this was a project that had to be turned into a book and shared with the world.
0: That's wonderful.
1: Yeah. And each quote is in English and in Romanian. So it's kind of interesting. I hear that people learn a new, learn Romanian based on this book, which is amazing because I didn't think that this was going to be one of the things that people would share. Um, one of my American friends said, how fun, I've always wanted to learn... Um, a language that had to do with romance and romanian is a latin language so it's very um it had it has to do with romance and she started learning romanian based on the book <laughs> wow. i was thrilled
0: <laughs> that's exciting yeah i'm glad that you made it the question i have for you is what do you want people to know about your country what what's important to you, for people to understand about Romania?
1: The country was formed over 2000 years ago. And even if the world doesn't hear uh, things about it on the news or out there, it has tremendous wisdom, tremendous wisdom. The Language, Romanian, is spoken only by 25 million people. So a lot of that wisdom is hidden behind the language. Mm. Unless people like me learn English and then they can translate some of, some of that wisdom. So I want them to know that just like any other country, there's a lot of wisdom. And most of the th- times that wisdom is hidden behind the language. So don't just um, look at, at the surface and all the bad things that the media is presenting about a country, it can be Romania, it can be a country in South America or Africa, dig deeper, there's always something more. And it's usually very fascinating.
0: I think that's an important lesson that we all have to learn. And uh, well, well, thank you so much for for being here. This is Diana Dorfte, and she works with Matthew Cross at the Leadership Alliance. She's a friend of ours. She's an avid eye floater, and she is also co-author of the Little Book of Romanian Wisdom.
1: Thank you, David, for having me.
0: You're welcome. Have a good day, everybody.